Hi, this is Paul. I'm going to play a little clip for you where I think Jordan, he doesn't name it this way, but basically gives the psychological significance of evening prayer. Now, this is within a video that's on the thumbnail said Magic Mushrooms, and I initially dismissed it. My take on psychedelics is pretty well known to anybody who's watching my channel. Um, the quickest way to summarize this is don't try this at home. But there does seem to be warrant and justification for continued medical research as to exactly what these chemicals are doing to the brain and to, you know, find out if there's any therapeutic value to it. And, there, and Jordan has all along continued to assert that there is therapeutic value to it. And so I actually found this to be an excellent video. Now, Ethan... Um, on Twitter very much said, yeah, people are trying to sell mushrooms in the comment section, et cetera, et cetera. So take this with all the warnings I have about psychedelics. But what Jordan lays down here is in some ways, in my opinion, the psychological significance of evening prayer. Or obsessive is you say, well, you know, one of the things, huge part of it does seem to be the distinction between voluntary and involuntary. You know, one of the things you do for people who are obsessive is you say, well, you know, you're disgusted by this thing you're looking at, and, and then that thought comes and visits you involuntarily. Before you go to sleep at night, bring that thought to mind voluntarily and play with it. And if they do that religiously, let's say, that'll often decrease the intensity of the thoughts. So whether you, you have the thoughts in the spirit of challenge or whether they're being forced upon you, also seems to be an indication of whether you're playing creatively or if you're subject to something like neurotic overload and stress. Mm -hmm. Now, when he said this, I immediately thought of evening prayer. If you listen to Dennis Prager in the Bibli in the Exodus seminar, he says, you know, there's only twice in his life that he's ever asked God for, for anything. And fair enough, there's certainly something very admirable about what he says and does there, although my mind jumps because I'm preaching on the Matthew passage that quotes Isaiah 7, where Isaiah invites King Ahaz to um, ask the Lord for a sign, and Ahaz gets sanctimonious, and the prophet Isaiah says, he's going to give you one anyway. So don't, don't be, let's not be too sanctimonious with, with some of our things. But what, what Jordan basically described here is evening prayer. People as a pastor, I know people pray their anxieties and people, in fact, come to church on Sunday morning. We always have joys and concerns as part of our, our, our morning liturgy in, in church. People bring their anxieties, they bring their joys and concerns, but as Jordan said, they voluntarily bring that anxiety forward. And now, what do they do? They lift it up to God. Okay, now I am... I'm speaking the psychological significance of evening prayer. I'm not um, talking about the um, metaphysical quality of prayer because there's always there's long been, been this debate. About 20 years ago, Philip Yancey was probably the most popular writer in the evangelical a certain corner of evangelicalism, and um, in our men's in our men's group we walked through this book and it, he sort of goes back and forth over the question, does prayer change us or does prayer change God? And my answer to that is both. And, and so 
what Jordan just laid out here basically is the psychological practice of praying our anxieties. And I know there's a lot of pastoral admonition, I've given it myself, that don't just sit there and pray your anxieties. Don't just sit there and ask, ask, ask. A common structure for prayer that many pastors will offer is the is laid out in the acronym of ACTS, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication. What that means is it forces you to go through first praise, giving your attention to God and Jordan Peterson speak, uh, confession, doing a self-examination to look at the ways that during the day I have fallen short, I have failed to love my neighbor all the way up to and including my enemies, I've failed to love them as myself. Um, I failed to love God in the way I ought. I've, I've sinned in certain ways. So adoration, confession, thanksgiving. Thank God for all of the good things that you have, your home, your food, many of the things, the good things in your life that you so, so then bring in some gratitude. So adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and then supplication. And in supplication, you're basically bringing all of those anxieties. It's the stuff that Jordan is talking about here. You're bringing all of those anxieties to God. And... Most Christians will attest that they pray that they pray their anxieties a lot and they repeat their anxieties a lot. And if their prayers aren't answered in a very direct way, as most prayers are not often, what are you doing when you are doing your evening prayer? You are actually doing exactly what Jordan said, but now in a religious package, not in a psychological package. So for that reason, I'm going to back it up and... Um, and I want you to listen to him, listen to this part again, thinking about evening prayer and what it does psychologically. Distinction between voluntary and involuntary. You know, one of the things you do for people who are obsessive is you say, well, you know, you're disgusted by this thing you're looking at. And, and then that thought comes and visits you involuntarily. Before you go to sleep at night, bring that thought to mind voluntarily and play with it. And if they do that religiously, let's say, that'll often decrease the intensity of the thoughts. So whether you... Religiously. Do it religiously. What is it? You bind yourself to it. Every night before you go to bed, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Work through those things. And trust me, the supplication part will be there ready. You have to work a lot harder, probably at the adoration, praising God for who he is. Thanks, um, confession. Okay, these are the ways that I've fallen short. Thanksgiving, thank you, Lord, for all of the good things that you have in my life. And then supplication. All of those anxieties are there, and you're ready then to address them. You have the thoughts in the spirit of challenge or whether they're being forced upon you also seems to be an indication of whether you're playing creatively or if you're subject to something like neurotic overload and stress. Mm, mm. Yeah, and when, when we think of, uh, um, you know, certain so-called third wave psychotherapies like mindfulness-based uh, cognitive therapy or acceptance and commitment therapy, I guess there is a... Now, in some ways, all the things that he managed are popular in the secular world because they feel buffered, using Charles Taylor's word. They feel buffered from God. So whatever you think about um, what is up there in the sky, who God is, whether God is present, et cetera, et cetera, these things tend to work. And so people are like, okay, I'm in charge. I'm in control of them. But prayer obviously opens you up in a much larger way. A promotion of a ability to 
sit with difficult feelings, to almost play with them, you know, some of the mm -hmm. acceptance. And when he says that, to sit with difficult feelings, that's what you're doing when you're praying your anxieties. That's what you're doing when this thing that's been bothering all, you all day, this thing that's been driving you crazy, um, you, you give them to God. And now <laughs> pastors will often admonish people to uh, give them to God and leave them with God. But again, all of this is, it's fascinating to me when I listen to this part, how much Christians have been doing this through prayer for a very long time. Some commitment therapy techniques involve play. Like, you know, you have a arachnophobia and, and you'll you'll wear a toy spider around your neck. I guess that's exposure right, therapy, right, but, right. but you, you know, or, or you have a negative cognitive bias in depression thinking you're worthless and you'll wear a sign that says I'm worthless. And the fact mm -hmm. that it's there all the time becomes like comedic and it, it loses its punch because it's out there and it's silly rather than it's in here and getting chewed well, over. Well, you're, you're, also, you're also reversing the predator-prey relationship in some sense, right? If you're afraid of spiders, but you're wearing one, you're now bigger than your fear. And, and what happens, if you can go to a Phil Visser video, um, God is bigger than the boogeyman. What you are doing then in prayer, obviously, is, okay, spiders are scary. Okay, all of the things that are eating at my life are scary. My problems in my relationship, my financial situation, my job situation, my health situation, all of this stuff is scary. But then when you bring them before God, well, now suddenly you have a divine ally who is bigger than all of your problems. Psychologically speaking, you can see how this works. No, and if and so and so you've 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 even though you still might be afraid, you're you're also allowing that part of you that can transcend the fear to become the part that you're identifying with. Right, right there. That's that's exactly it. The part of you that transcends the fear. Well, it's not the part of you necessarily, although the Holy Spirit is within you. It's the part of the world that is greater than the fear. And what is you know in many ways, part of Jordan Peterson's definition of God is the transcendent. You can use him, you can hear him use that as a substitute for, for God in, in his Exodus seminar. And, and you do that constantly in psychotherapy is to, and you know, one of the, one of the constant findings with regard to exposure therapy is it's not so much that people get less afraid, it's that they get braver and the distinction there is really important because it turns out that if you expose a person voluntarily to one thing they're afraid of, they become less afraid of classes of things. You know, the psych, the psych. With God, I can scale a mountain right out of the Psalms. With, with God, I can, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You'll hear Freddie say these things. These things are so basic in common Christian practice along the way. And, and what's so amazing here is the, the, the psychological significance of Christian practice. Psychoanalysts, when they went after the behaviorists for exposure therapy, they said, you'll get symptom substitution. You know, you train someone who's agoraphobic to get in an elevator, they'll still be afraid of death. But it turns out that if you train them to expose themselves to the elevator, they are simultaneously exposing themselves to the fear of death. And they actually become braver across contexts as a consequence of the single exposures. And there is something in that that's, that's play. You know, with my clients, I always, I always used to play with them. It's like, okay, 
There's the elevator. You don't want to look at it. Can you look at it from 30 feet away? No. Well, how about 40 feet? How about 200 feet? Like you'd find a place where they could play. It was right on the edge of their fear, right? And then, and so there was play right on the edge of fear. And then maybe you could get the person 40 feet away and say, well, will you look at the elevator for like, just glance at it? Will you look at it for 10 seconds? No. Will you glance at it? Yes. Can you glance at it for two seconds? Yes. You just push that horizon of play and you do that sequentially across sessions and that seems to work. Well, it's sort of like how people learn everything, right? Because you learn on the edge mm. and mm. the edge is where the play, edge is where the serious play takes place. Mm. And, and I think when I, when I look at how churches work when they're working well, this is exactly what happens. This is what the community does. Someone comes in with an irrational fear and everybody else knows it's irrational. Again, the community is helping with the sanity. We've been looking at that sanity um, we've been looking at that sanity question. Jordan, I, I played it at the beginning of my conversation last night with Byrne, where he has this nice clip. He's talking to this politician, which is another video I didn't watch, but the clips help then because I often don't watch videos with politicians because, well, um, I take religion seriously and I take politics considerably less seriously. But he, he talked about the value of marriage in terms of sanity because, again, our, our sanity, there, there certainly is something to brain function. And part of what I really liked about this video was he connected brain function with psychedelic chemicals and, and sort of talked about that really on both sides of it. But the, oh shoot, where was I going? I lost my thought. So what, what happens in a community is that you, you, actually, you actually lodge your sanity or your insanity uh, communally. And I, I've mentioned in a few of my videos, I just finished watching The Vow on HBO about the Nexium cult, and it was absolutely fascinating. And it's in many ways a negative illustration of how either sanity or insanity is lodged communally. We are by no means singular in the way that we are. But when it comes to these anxieties, obviously there are communities in which the anxiety itself sort of becomes a principality and grips hold of that community and that can become terribly dangerous and tremendously destructive for individuals and in fact for, um, for whole nations when these things grab a nation. But at the same time, if you are, if you have an anxiety and the rest of the community looks at that and says, this isn't something you should be afraid of, the entire community over time hopefully will help you process all of these things. So I, I saw this little clip. I have dozens of, Jordan's been putting out some really good stuff lately. And I saw this and I thought, no, I, I before it slips out of my head, out into the um, scrum of daily life, I said, I want to nail this thing because right here, he really does nail the psychological significance of prayer. So let me know what you think of this. Leave a comment.